Chapter 1 Daddy, is this real life? Robert Dawes thought on the question as he pulled his sedan out of the circular driveway in front of his son's school. Seven-year-old Matthew sat in the back seat, still clutching his backpack crammed with drawings for the refrigerator and office, his homework folder and notes for mom and dad. The corners of his mouth showed signs from his lunch, chocolate pudding on one side and the unmistakable glow of mustard in the other. His shirt also displayed a remnant of the day's activities. Robert admired his son's reflection. Dark hair in need of another haircut, and a freckled nose beneath the brown eyes of his mother. Matthew stared out the window at the passing cars, oblivious to his father's inspections. As real as it gets, Bubba. Can we go to the park? Sure thing. Robert was always amused by the speed at which his son's mind could change gears. On the rare occasions he picked up Matthew from school, he could scarcely answer one question before the next volley was unleashed. What are clouds made of? When can we go back to Grandma's house? Will I get sick if I eat a whole jar of pickles? Gas, Friday night, and yes. Often he would interrupt the answer with another question, and sometimes he would interrupt himself with a different question in mid-speech. Sometimes, instead of questions, were the rapid-fire recaps of the day's events. What he had learned, who did what, and what was for lunch. Each comment proceeded by, Dad, you know what? They drove down the tree-lined streets of the old part of town. Intermittent bursts of conversation were followed by gaps when the sound of the road could be heard over the low tones of the radio. They followed Clarkston Road on a gradual descent until it came to a dead end at Marshland Avenue. Before them sat the antebellum plantation house that was the country club of Jackson, a compound that was once the home of the Confederate officer who was the town's namesake. Robert made a right onto Marshland and continued down the sloping road toward Marshland Park, located half a mile ahead. The park was laid out on a strip of land a quarter of a mile wide and two miles long. Jogging paths weaved between oaks and magnolias that cast the park in a constant shadow. Because of the old money in this part of town, it was still regarded a badge of honor for some at cocktail parties to announce that they lived in Marshland. Could any of them speak of the history of the park, or of the history of its benefactor? Robert could, but only because he read it on an old postcard that hung on the cash register at Lowell's Cafe. Matthew ran for the cargo net, attached to the side of the structure that was the hub for the slides and sprang from its center. Adjacent to this was a playset that contained equipment for toddlers with benches separating the two. Robert sat on the nearest bench, beneath the shade of a large tree. He was back-to-back -back with an attractive young blonde, who was having a conversation with a more rotund older woman as their kids played nearby. Matthew yelled from the top of a large curvy slide before sending himself down in a flash, laughing and racing back toward the top. The day was sunny, with traces of clouds and a slight breeze. April was a fine month to be outside in Georgia. The trees had recovered their green, and the fragrance of new flowers floated on the wind. Robert took another long look at his son and silently thanked God that his life was, in fact, real. At that very moment, in an upscale neighborhood on the other side of town, his beautiful wife played with his daughter in the large living room of their new house. The fruits of his success were still fresh and giving off an energy all their own. Three months ago, Daryl Wilson, executive vice president of Piedmont Capital, gave Robert the call he was waiting for. He was now director of client acquisitions. Say yes to a new house and a new car, and let's look at some lakefront property while we're at it. Money was never much of a concern before, and now it was hardly a consideration. 
He was 33, seven years younger than any other director at Piedmont Capital, and 12 years younger than the youngest person to ever hold his title. There were some grumblings, of course, mostly for men who had been with the company for a decade before he joined right out of college. There was a plan to promotion, they said. You had to fill certain roles within the company first. Robert had never managed more than three people at any point in his tenure, and now he had a staff of 20, some of whom had been with the company much longer than he. The position is far too important, they said, to trust it to someone who did not have the pedigree a firm of their standing deserved. To prove the point of the naysayers, once word got out that Piedmont had entrusted the future of the company's growth to this young former account manager, the stock price dropped two full points. Clearly, the old men on the board were slipping.